your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John 3. I know you've been standing for a little while now, but I'd still like for you to continue to stand while we read. John 3, verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Now, we'd like for you to look down to verse 15 of this same chapter, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 and 18, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Praise God. All right, you may be seated. I want to read verse 19 and a few other verses related to this. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his darkness may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now, if you would turn with me to Mark the 16th chapter, and we want to read a portion of the, the great commandment, the great commission that Jesus gave, Mark 16, verse 15, And he said unto them, Go you into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. What did they preach? They preached the gospel. That's what the Bible tells us they were commissioned 
They were commissioned in verse 15 to preach the gospel. So they went forth and preached the gospel everywhere the, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now, I'd like to go back to John the third chapter. And I'd like to read John 3, 15 and 16 again. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now you will find in the scripture that there are many, many related scriptures to this particular passage of scripture. Now we have also spoken to you concerning verse 17 in uh, recent weeks, and that is that, that man is born of sin, and it is not really necessary that he make a decision as to whether he wants to be lost. If he wants to be lost, the decision's already been made. Because he is born in sin, and he becomes a transgressor in what we would call an involuntary way. Now, when we say an involuntary way, we have in our we have in our body voluntary muscles and involuntary muscles. Now, voluntary muscles they simply volunteer uh, a response at the call of the brain by willful thinking. So, in order for me to take a glass of water, my brain has to say, "Muscle, pick up." the glass and so my muscle responds and so I'll take a drink and uh, this is called voluntary muscles and uh, <clears throat> you have other muscles that are involuntary muscles now involuntary muscles they work on uh, on their own without any thought now, it does take brain power, but nevertheless, if you put your finger to the fire, even if your willful thinking would say, leave your finger there and burn, your muscle would say otherwise. It just jumps back. You know, so as much as you want to deny uh, <clears throat> the uh, involuntary process and, and you want to say that uh, I'm going to make myself I'm going to force myself, I'm going to put my hand uh, there on the fire, uh, even with willful thinking, the muscle just responds. That's called involuntary response. So it just, it just jumps back. And uh, you just can't, you know, you, you can't overpower it with, with your brain. Maybe in some cases you could, but, but we, we have involuntary muscles and... and, and uh, the same muscle can be used voluntarily and involuntarily, but it all depends on on the type of situation, and uh, of course it's controlled by the brain. But uh, when we look at the gospel, you see, man was born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and uh, unless there is a willful response on your part to be saved, then uh, you you just become automatically lost you just you you're going to go the way of sin 
Even when you are telling yourself, I don't want to sin, I don't want to die, you'll find out that you sin anyway. You just go right ahead and do it. And you can say, look, uh, I know that this isn't right, and so I'm going to, I'm just not going to sin, but you will sin anyway. You will sin anyway. You may say, well, if, if uh, sin is, is an involuntary thing, then uh, how could God charge you and hold you accountable for sin for doing something that you couldn't help but do? Now, please understand, I believe that, that sin is a transgression against the law of God, but the only way that you can keep from sinning is to have a power or source within inside of you that gives you strength over sin. And this is the purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world. Why did he come? Why did he die? Why did he suffer? As Sister Rutherford sung us that beautiful song, she, she said, I don't really know why. But, but that we, she was saying that uh, why he did it for me, I don't know why. But we do know that he did it for us because he did not want us to perish. So I want to concentrate on one word found in John 3.16. And I'll read the whole verse. For God so loved the world, I quote the whole verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, and here's the word, perish. Perish. We want to talk about perishing today. Now contrary to the general philosophy that is accepted in many religious ranks, and that is that uh, you should only talk about the things that, that are pertinent to love and and charity when you talk about God. Contrary to this, God himself uh, and Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, talked about this subject quite a bit. They may not have been, or I say they, Jesus may not have been popular uh, had he lived in our day and preached what he preached. He probably wouldn't be popular. In fact, I'm of the strong opinion that if Jesus lived right now, that uh, it would be just as easy for the religious groups today to put him to death as the religious groups did in the days in which he lived. And it was the religious Pharisees that were genuinely responsible for the death of Jesus. Jesus recognized that the Pharisees were the keepers of the law, but he called them hypocrites. He pronounced upon them seven woes in Matthew, what, chapter 23? And uh, I may be off on the chapter there, but it was Matthew 23. And so, uh, uh, you know, he really talked and dealt with them. The same crowd that stood out and, and lay their coats in his path and cried out, Hosanna, was the very same crowd that gathered in the temple there a few hours later. And they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. All he had to do was to preach something that they did not believe and something they would not accept. But the Bible specifically teaches in a life after death. Now, the Bible specifically teaches that there is a place that you can go and you can live forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. The scripture calls it heaven, the new Jerusalem, the holy city. It calls it glory. There's several terms that are synonymous to uh, eternal life that you can find. And then, of course, uh, there are, there are uh, 
terms that are used to describe uh, to describe a death, uh, everlasting punishment. Those terms found in the scripture are hell, the lake of fire, and of course there there may be in some uh, situations a a difference. Uh, and I will explain some of that later on. But there's hell, there's the lake of fire, there's everlasting darkness. Uh, it's called the pit. Uh, uh, just several terms like this. Now let me just ask you a question. And this will be one of the most serious questions that anybody will ever ask you. What if you walked out of this church today, got in your car, and headed down the road? And what if all of a sudden you were hit head on by another automobile... And you died on the spot. Now you think about it just for a minute. Now, if this happened to you and you went to hell, what would your reaction be? Now it could be. Now these are very sober words. But you see... You read in the paper every day of people who died. I do not remember the last time I picked up a newspaper and I did not see in the newspaper where somebody died. Right out here on Cottage, not Cottage Grove Road, but Buckeye, County Trunk AB, a motorcycle went through a, uh, a room out there, went into the living room. Two cyclists died. I'm not here to say whether those people went to heaven or hell, but I'm just saying if you had been on that cycle, where would you be? See, Recently a cycle hit head-on over here on the overpass on Highway 51 going up toward uh, uh, 151, and uh, the cyclist was killed outright. Now, if you had been the cyclist, where would you be today? Now, the reason why that we we want to talk in these terms because there's some people that just kind of they just float from day to day and they just feel that God is just so merciful that He's just going to always overlook what they do wrong. The Bible says it's it's appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. See, now you will contrary to what you might not want to think about, you will be forced to stand before God for judgment. And you will be forced to answer certain questions about the crucifixion and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus died that you wouldn't have to die? Did you know that Jesus shed his blood? The only thing in the Bible that's appropriated to take sin away. And if you do not take advantage of the gospel, that's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus died, he was buried, and he arose. And that gospel enables you to be born again. A water and a spirit. If you don't take advantage of that, while you're living here, then when you meet God with sin in your life, you will be forced into everlasting punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, Matthew 25, and we'll just, uh, we're going to look at this. This is not going to be a very pleasant uh, experience for some of you, 
But uh, we have to talk about some of these things because it's better to talk about it before you die than to be concerned after you die. And the only time we can talk about before you die is in situations like this. Matthew 25, now this is not going to be an emotional type service unless you make it emotional. In other words, I'm just simply going to point out some scriptures for your benefit today that you need to consider. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you know that the the devil and uh, and all of the angels of the devil are going to die in the lake of fire? And it's prepared for the devil and his angels. Turn with me to the book of Jude. That's that little book that precedes the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So Jude is next to last in the Bible. But man, does it ever contain some some powerful things. All right, if you look at, uh, not Revelation, pardon me. Jude 6, it only has one chapter, Jude 6, the sixth verse of Jude, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. So what the deal is, according to the scripture, in Isaiah 14, the devil lost his estate, and when he was taken or thrown out of heaven because of rebellion, and Lucifer was the angel of light or understanding, he lost his estate with God and took with him a third part of all the stars or the angels of heaven. And when he did this, the Bible tells us that at that time, God prepared a lake of fire for him to burn. And so as a result, uh, we find in the scripture that, that, that uh, uh, the, Bible, or the Bible is telling us in scriptural form that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels or his followers. Now, the situation is that we are born and in an involuntary way we become a sinner or we become a transgressor. And so as a result, we become victimized by the devil. And we become a follower of the devil, just like the one-third of all of the angels that left their state became followers of Lucifer. Now this is explained in John the 8th chapter. And I think we just read that, was it last weekend? John the 8th chapter, and Jesus said in verse 44, And ye are of your father the devil. Now he's speaking to the Pharisees, and as I said before, the Pharisees were the religious leaders, or should I say the religious sect of their particular day. In verse 39, they said, We're Abraham's seed, We're we're the children of Abraham. Jesus said, Now wait a minute. Now, If you're Abraham's children, you would indeed do the works of Abraham. 
But he said, Ye are of, verse 44, your father the devil, and the lust of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. So every lie that's, that's told, the devil is the father of that lie. See, man was made in the likeness and in the image of God. And the conscience of man that's put inside of him to ward off evil says, Thou shalt not lie. And most lies are contemplated. In other words, you start telling, you think, This is not right, but you go ahead and tell it anyway. And the reason why you do is because there is something prompting you saying, Go ahead and tell it. You don't want to suffer embarrassment or shame. You want people to feel good about you? Tell it the way you think that it ought to be told so that they'll think good about you. Now, when, when Satan visited Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Lord had laid down previously some commandments, but Satan came by and said, why, the reason why that, that God doesn't want you eating of the forbidden fruit in the garden is because he understands that if you eat of it, that you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. And, uh, but Eve said, but the Lord said, thou shalt not eat of the, the fruit of the tree, lest you die. And uh, Satan just took and turned the commandment of God around. He said, ye shall not surely die. He said, God is a jealous God, and he just doesn't want you to be like him. And so he tempted Eve, and she ate of the forbidden fruit, or she transgressed. She listened to the lie. And you know, the truth of the matter is, we got a whole world full of people who are listening to nothing more than a pack of lies by the devil. Now, the devil knows that he will be chained and cast into the lake of fire along with all of the angels that followed him. You know, the old saying, misery loves company. He wants you to go with him. And not only does he want you to go with him, he is after you. His sole purpose is to make sure that you die lost, separated from Jesus Christ. This old feeling that he got when he was in heaven, and that is that I can become like God, he still has that. In other words, he's still seeking vengeance. He wants to get even. And he feels that if he can cause you to die lost in hell forever and ever and ever, then this is just one step of getting closer to God. Or get even with God, rather, not closer. Getting even with God. Now, if you have never been born again, a water new spirit, and I must interpret that in the light of the way the apostles interpreted it and the way the apostles practiced it, they, they commanded all of the recipients of the gospel to repent, to be baptized exclusively in water by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you can find the apostles practicing some of the mode of baptism other than the, the baptism in His name, uh, then I'd like for you to, to submit to us conclusive evidence of this. But it's not true according to the Scripture. They all baptize in Jesus' name in water by immersion it was a real burial of the old man. 
And then they received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, all you have to do then to be lost, there is an involuntary process. You became a sinner by birth, or you were a sinner by birth and became a transgressor in a very involuntary way. And you're going to have to use some of your voluntary spiritual muscles to get on God's side. See, to be lost, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to think about it. See, while I'm talking about dying, while I'm talking about going to hell, while I'm talking about burning in the lake of fire, while I'm talking about uh, being cast into outer darkness, you can just sit back there. And while we're talking about plane crashes, train crashes, motorcycle accidents and all of this, you can be thinking about the lilies down on the pond someplace and a fish biting the hook and having fun and partying and whatever. But nevertheless, friend, one of these days you're going to have to think about it. And you can ignore all of these things and never make a decision. You may, But you see, the decision has already been made. See, your voluntary or involuntary spiritual life was set before you were born. Now, to be saved, you have to do something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever does what? Believeth in him. Does the Bible say that the devil was sent forth in the world and whosoever believes in him can die and go to hell? It doesn't say that. You don't even have to believe in the devil. In fact, it's quite strange, but a whole lot of the devil's followers don't even believe that he exists. They don't believe there's a God. Atheism, which is denying the, the, the denunciation, I'll get the right word here, it's the denunciation of all supreme powers. Now there is a theistic atheism that believes in a supreme power, but not necessarily God. But the basic thought of atheism is that there is no supreme powers above us, so we just live and let live, and man makes of himself what he wants to make of himself, and he progresses as he himself has the ability to progress, and the echelon that he lives in in his society is dependent upon his own ability and talents, and so he is an independent, uh, totally, I say independent, dependent, or independent, pardon me. He's an independent creature, and he's not dependent upon any supreme power or force. And so he's what he is. Well, now that is not the way the Scripture teaches it. And you know very well that uh, uh, atheism, even though it is a widespread uh, movement in our world, that there are many areas of atheism which are so impractical, totally impractical, that uh, they cannot be applied to everyday living. So separate and apart from the Bible, atheism doesn't work for human beings. So, But, but the devil, he, he doesn't care. You don't even have to believe in him. Now you're just going to be lost anyway. So it takes no, it takes nothing on your part to be lost. You're just, you're just lost. Now, if you got in the car and you drove out of the driveway, went down the street, and you got hit by an automobile or something, and all of a sudden you were flung into death, a situation which you have no power over because everybody dies, then what would your reaction be? What would your response be? 
Would you be saved? Would you be lost? I don't like to think about it. I'm sure you don't. And the devil's telling you right now, don't think about this. It is scary. It'll cause you to have nightmares. I had a, 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 a very good, well-meaning man to come one time. And he said, you know, you told this story about death and all this. And, and my teenage daughter, she had nightmares for days. And I wish you wouldn't tell things like this. In fact, uh, both he and the wife made a real plea to me not to be scaring people like that. Said, my teenager can't even sleep. Well, I happen to have known that teenager quite well. And it was a good thing that she didn't sleep for a while because God only knows where she'd be right now. Hadn't she not had some miserable times in the blackness of the night thinking about dying and being lost? See, when we're saved, we didn't come to God because we love God. Now, if you think you came to God and gave your heart to the Lord because you love God, you don't know much about life nor the Scripture. John says, I love Him. Why? Because He first loved me. While I was lost and miserable, while there was cursings coming from my lip and hatred from my heart and vengeance in all of my activities and such, God was loving me. And do you know how I got saved? One day some preacher saw my miserable condition and when I got in the church he took advantage of it and preached his guts out to me and scared me half to death and I ended up at an altar because I didn't want to die and go to hell. Now, I can tell you one thing now. I, I'm serving God because I love Him. I have grown to a very loving relationship with God. God's been good to me. Praise God. And I love Him. But i got to tell you, I haven't always loved Him. And when I first came to Him, I came to Him simply because I saw that He loved me. He reached out and said, John, why don't you come? He said, I forgive you for all your swearing. I forgive you for all your hating. I forgive you for all the times in which you s spoke evilly of your parents and of your of the church. I forgive you of all this. And he beckoned with me and told me that he had prepared a mansion for me. And he put my very name on it if I wanted to have everlasting life. But still in all of that dealing that he had with me, the choice was still mine. It was a voluntary thing on my part. I had to step out and say, yes, I want to be saved. Yes, I want to do something. I don't want to die and go to a devil's hell. Well, these books on witchcraft and such, let me tell you something. You know, you, you look at some of these books and and some of these games, Ouija boards and Zodiac calendars and all this, and if you've been, if your life has been run by the, the Zodiac, please let me tell you something. Tear that thing up. That's a bunch of garbage. That's just a hook in your jaw to follow an evil spirit. You know, but all of those things, you know, you look at some of the the, the things, some of the records have been put out and some of the jackets of them and everything and some of those evil-looking spirits and everything. How'd you like to go to hell where it's going to be just full of this? And contrary to what a lot of people think, friend, in hell, wickedness continues. You see, 
the, the Bible tells us that, that, that on the judgment day that there will be a, a, a seal stamp. And uh, let's say we'll just use our imagination a little bit here, but the thought is, is there and it's very vividly spoken of in the Scripture. But let's just say that this is a record of your life right here. Okay? And, and all of a sudden the Lord reads this. And uh, you died, and you died lost. There's nothing, there's nothing in your account, nothing in your history that says you were born again, had your sins taken away, accepted the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a stamp will be placed upon your life. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is wicked, let him be wicked still. And that simply means if you die with sin in your life. Do you know how many times you toss and tumble in the bed sometimes thinking of schemes to get even with people? Now, when you're cast in the lake of fire, you take all of that with you. And besides all of that, here is a literal fire that burns... And you're in these torment, but you still have this. It's not only an external punishment, but it's also you got still got all these feelings and such inside of you. Now you may say in Luke 16, it appears that the rich man didn't have all those things. Well, you see, he did come to his senses too late, and he did understand that he had brethren on the earth that need to be evangelized, and he wanted Lazarus to go. Maybe you should read Luke 16. I'd like to read it. I just don't think I have enough time this morning to, to, to read it. But uh, in torment, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes in hell. Now, it's called Abraham's bosom here. Abraham's bosom is a Jewish phrase that denotes a place of paradise, a rest for the departed souls who rest with God. Hell is spoken of. Contrary to what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, hell is more than the grave. I said contrary to what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, hell is more than a grave. And, and if we have any people here who are Jehovah's Witnesses, I am not saying that this to slam you hard. I'm not saying it at all. But I will say this to you who are here. If they come to your door and they want to teach you a Bible study or something, don't take it. They say that this is just heaven right here and, and, and hell is their grave. Now you know that's, there's nothing like that in the Bible. And if the devil can get your mind to thinking this way, and get you to program to think this way, then uh, he's going to get you. If he could get you thinking that, oh, don't worry about hell, and, and that, that's all he wants. That's all he wants. But you see, we live in a hazardous world. You just think just for a moment. Do you know that war could break out? For the first time, we could even have fighting right here in America. I say for the first time in your generation. We've had fighting here before, but we don't really know what it's like. Some of the men who are here went through Vietnam. How many men do we have here have been in Vietnam? Several men here have been in Vietnam. 
Do we have anybody that were in the Korean War? All right, we got one man that was in the Korean War. Anybody in World War II? Nobody in World War II? I just uh, yesterday spent some time talking to a man who was in World War II, was injured, had a Purple Heart Award and such, and wow, he showed me some pictures. Unbelievable. You know, we could have a war. We live in a hazardous world. But, you know, if, if, if in the event we never have a war here, could I also say this, that, that there will be a time in which some domestic hazard or something will come by and take your life from this earth. You're not going to live forever right here. And, and, you know, you're just kidding yourself if you think, well... You know, I'm one of those uh, rare individuals. I could be on the top floor in a skyscraper and it'd catch on fire and everybody'd die but me. See? I could be in a train crash and it'd have hundreds of people aboard and all of the, the cars would be derailed but mine. You must say, I never think like that. Maybe you do in a subconscious way because if you really thought that you were a victim of life, the way that you look at everybody else and you're not saved, you'd be you'd get down to this altar this morning and you'd pray and you'd repent and you'd seek God and you'd get your life straight. But you see, in your subconscious mind, you feel that you're a very fortunate individual. God, you know, I heard a lot of people say, oh, God doesn't love me, Brother Grant. They're crying. And the truth of the matter is, whenever I try to talk to them about getting right with God and all this, they won't do that. They really think God loves them more than he loves anybody else. Follow what I'm saying? See, the way we consciously interpret things, we always interpret things, you know, for our own satisfaction. I remember one time talking to a lady at Montgomery Wards. Uh, I used to be a salesman at Montgomery Wards in Shawano, and I was a pastor. And so uh, they gave us a little bonus for each uh, each credit card we issued, see. So I said, I, uh, have you considered opening a charge, a revolving charge account? She said, sir. And in fact, if I remember correctly, she called me son. And she was a, an older lady. She said, uh, she said, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't think I, I you know, a, a woman as old as I am, it would be ridiculous to open a, a charge card, a charge account. And she went on and on and on. Well, I thought maybe she's about ready to die. So I said, I've got to help her a little bit. So I started talking to her about the Lord. And when I started talking to her about the Lord, she says, well, I'm in good health. There's nothing wrong with me. Now, you see how she interpreted that. In one way, she, you know, she, she was saying, I got my foot in the grave and I can open up a revolving charge card and pay all this interest this late in life and all this. Oh, she said, I don't have long here on this planet, Earth, and I'm not going to be buying things every day. I can live with what I have. And I said, well, you know, I started, I changed a conversation. Of course, we were talking for some length of time. I started talking to her about dying. And all of a sudden, she decided that, well, I'm going to live forever. Right in the, the same the same visit there. Now she's going to live forever. She interpreted the situation to her own satisfaction. See? She was, in all probability, the type of person who was a little frugal and did not want to pay all those interest charges and this type of thing. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. 
I think, you know, in America, it's one of the few nations I know where you can borrow more money and pay back. And you buy things you can't pay for. And I preach to a lot of people who are so financially bankrupt that they could, they'd almost lost their sanity, you know. And she didn't want to get in that trap. That's all right. But on the other hand, when I started talking to her about the Lord and everything, she interpreted that to, for her benefit also. So she wouldn't, she wouldn't have to think about certain things. Now, I know that I am just talking to you here this morning. I usually preach on Sunday morning. But all that God has to do to shake the daylights out of you and scare you out of your wits is just say, boo. That's all he has to do. And if you don't think he has many ways of saying boo, you're mistaken. I was just traveling on the west side uh, Thursday, Friday. Friday was, going right down the, the uh, bell line, and all of a sudden uh, the rear wheel comes off of a, a, a van, a big van. It's one of these big step vans and had ladders on top of it, and the guy applied his brakes. Well, when he applied his brakes, the wheel, you know, was out, was going past him, going down the road. He knew what had happened, but he applied his brakes, and when he applied his brakes, it stopped the, the drum from turning, and fire just started shooting out. I said, oh, my, he's going to catch that thing on fire. The gas tank was right there. You could see it hovering down or see it uh, underneath there and sparks all over the place. He let up on his brakes so it would turn, and, and uh, when he did, uh, the thing almost flipped over. You know, it was just a, here it's just a, you know, here are the guys probably going down the road whistling Dixie, going to a job, thinking everything's all right, <laughs> you know, and just like this. Wow, the wheel's off, and here it's going down, and I'm about to lose control of this thing. Now, he probably was he had no fear of the fire, or the hazard there, because he probably didn't see the sparks. But you should have seen the sparks. Really, they were spraying out like from here to the wall over there. You know, it was just that metal on the concrete, and he had the brakes applied so the drum wouldn't turn over. And here the gas tank, and you talk about a spray of sparks. Now, that thing could have blown up. And then all of a sudden, on the belt line there, it was right by Zenbrick Buick there, there's a curb there. When he hit that, it almost turned that thing over. Oh, my. Now, this guy could have been in a heap of trouble if he'd have turned that over and that thing had caught on fire. Now, I passed back by there 30, 40 minutes later. He had the tire. He was jacking the thing up. He just got a scare. That's what I'm talking about. That's all God has to do. Scare a man. Just say, boo. And he has ways of doing it. He has ways of doing it. Man, I have known in my lifetime so many people say, well, I don't even know if I believe in all that prayer stuff, preacher. You let God say boo just a little bit loud in their ear two or three times, and they get, they, man, they run out to the altar and they start praying and seeking God and crying out for mercy. And You see, that's the reason why I say atheism is not practical. It doesn't even work. I've known a whole lot of people who says, I don't even believe in a God. I remember a young lady telling me this in lacrosse. She says, I don't even believe in God. 
her grandmother, who she considered to be the most precious person alive, developed cancer, and she's about to die. Who does she think she calls for prayer? She calls me. Well, why? Her name have to be Colleen. I say, why, Colleen, are you calling me? I thought you didn't believe in God. I thought you didn't even believe that there was a there was a God. Aren't you uh, an atheist? Well, she said, you know, just, you know, I, I said, well, just, just, to, you know, just don't lose your composure. The doctors will do what they can do. But they say they can't do anything, Brother Graham. Yeah, but you don't believe in God anyway. If they can't do anything, then there's just no hope. You know, just so don't worry about it. Everything's going to be like it's going to be. She said, now you know that you're trying to give me a hard time. I called you because you believe in prayer and you believe in God. And, and you like to pray for people. I said, but you mean you don't want me to pray for your grandmother? You didn't want me to pray for you last week. Well, she said, you know, I, I guess when you know, you know we're all faced with situations like this, we it kind of changes the way we think. You're right. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to become apostolic. Let them get sick enough. And I'll tell you one thing, all of this dancing in the spirit and shouting and speaking in tongues and things that we do around here on Sunday night becomes the most desirous thing that they can think of. Praise God. Do you want to be saved? You can be. You can be because Jesus loved you enough to shed his blood for you. We'd like for you to stand. Praise God. I'd like for Sister Debbie to come back if she would. Praise God. I'd like for her to just take that song and sing another verse or so of it. And while you're standing with your eyes closed, I'd like for you to meditate upon the goodness of the Lord. You know, he's such a good God that he came and suffered just so you would not have to be victimized in this involuntary process of death and hell. Why did he do it? Because he loved you. And he does love you. Sister Debbie, would you play and sing again? I really don't know why he loved me. Why my Lord would lay down on a rugged cross. To think he didn't have to drink Shame and agony, I can't figure it out. But I 
would you come right now? On both sides of the pulpit, there's a place for you to kneel and pray. You want to come and make peace with God? The invitation is being extended by God himself. Go ahead and sing, Sister Debbie. I believe that somebody would like to come right now. Why don't you step out from where you are? Come on down and give your heart to the Lord. Praise God. This is such a precious time for you to do it. Oh, isn't the Lord's goodness... Isn't the Lord's goodness being extended in this place? I can feel it, can't you? I feel His love. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Now, some of you come and gather around this individual. Somebody else step out. Would you step out right now? Come on and give your heart to God. Praise God. Don't tarry. Don't wait. Sing again, Sister Debbie, if you would. Now, the altar's open as she sings. I just can't figure it out why Jesus loved me so. Somebody else come. All right, we'd like for everybody to find a place to kneel and pray at this time. God bless you for coming and being our guest. If you're here as a guest, remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock.